The Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to The Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversation with everyday folks about the mystery of life. This podcast is a compliment to The Numinous School, my online intuition development program for people who want their self-awareness to serve a greater good. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, and today on the podcast, I'm speaking with Janet Rogers. Janet is an artist, writer, and poet, as well as producer and host of Native Waves Radio. I heard Janet speak at a conference for Radical Women's Leadership, and I was excited and nervous when she accepted the invitation to be on the podcast. I fondly refer to this episode as the one in which Carmen is schooled. I find it a bit embarrassing, actually, but... um, Yeah, I've procrastinated a bit about releasing it, but in the interests of moving forward, I'm very pleased to share with you the rich and personally very meaningful conversation I had with the formidable Janet Rogers. So Janet, what identities do you lead with in the world? I go by, um, if you're talking about names. I'm Janet Rogers, and uh, I am uh, a Mohawk Tuscarora. I'm a visitor and a guest here on Coast Salish Territory, and um, my mother is non-native, and she comes from Italian and Ukrainian heritage, and my father is Mohawk Tuscarora, and we come from Six Nations Territory in Southern Ontario. And uh, I have been on Coast Salish Territory as a guest and visitor for 22 years, and uh, this place, this territory, these lands and the water um, have influenced who I am. And so I, I, when I arrived here, gosh, I'm trying to think, 22 years ago, I was in my 30s or just hitting 30. And um, so that, you know, that's kind of important time in terms of uh, development and definitely creative development. So I, I owe a lot. I owe a lot to... Um, what this territory has offered me. Hmm. Can we go back then to the land where you grew up? And when you say Mohawk Tuscarora, is that two different nations? They are, yeah. Yeah, they're two different nations, and they're part of the Six Nations, um, which have actually Six Nations in them. So it's the uh, Seneca, Mohawk, Oneida, Onondaga. I'm going to say Onondaga, Oneida. Um, uh, Mohawk and Tuscarora, sorry, Seneca, Cayuga, or Onondaga, Oneida, Mohawk and Tuscarora. Okay. Um, I want to say it in the correct order. And so those are six nations that make up the Haudenosaunee Confederacy. And other people would know that by the name of Iroquois. Right. Which we don't use because that's a, a French word that was applied to us, and I think in the translation it doesn't really translate well for us. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. So we don't use that. <laughs> okay. So settlers would call this land Ontario. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And the impetus to move to Coast Salish territory was what for you? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good, important question. Um, so in uh, 1990, that was uh, in the July of 1990, that was when the Oka events mm-hmm. took place. And when I say Oka events, like, you know, some people call it a crisis, but it wasn't really a crisis. It was basically 
uh, people who were defending the land that was rightfully theirs. And so um, that event, uh, as you know, I don't know if you know or if the, if the listeners remember, that that was probably the biggest resistance event in our generation. And there's been others before us that were equally, if not greater, in scope and importance. And I mean, they're all important. Um, so in 1990, those events took place, and I had just started a job with the city of Toronto as a street cleaner. Mm-hmm. And um, when I saw those events um, initiate, it was um, uh, my first reaction was, "I ha- I want to go there. I have to go there, and I want to be of, of, of use and service." And then I, I looked at my life, and I just went, I, "I'm drinking. I'm partying." Um, I would I would go there for all the wrong reasons and ultimately would not be of service and help. So um, the following year, in July of 1991, I became sober. I got sober. And so I've been sober now 25 years. I was sober three years before I left Toronto. And so I'm happy I had a, a strong basis of sobriety before I came here. Mm. And when I did get sober in Toronto, um, I looked around and I just went, gee, I think I better get out of here. Mm. <laughs> because I had like, you know, all that history of, of, that, of the shenanigans, you know, that I was, you know, just participating in there. And um, there was a job opportunity that was offered to me to start working at the Friendship Center, the Native Friendship Center here. And I thought, yeah, sure, why not? And um, I took six weeks to travel uh, by car. And I went through all of the United States. And it was just a lovely road trip, six-week road trip. And um, ended up here in April of 1994. So, uh, and I've been here ever since. Ooh. And and like I have to say, if not only the land, but the Salish people on whose territory this is, embraced me right away. And I was very very fortunate for that fact mm. um so and to this day i have a very close uh beautiful respectful relationship with the coast salish people mm. the songhees people esquimalt people the west Saanich people east Saanich people so i'm like I, I feel very embraced and very fortunate to have that relationship so i've been here ever since mm. that, that is kind of a marked characteristic i think yeah. of our local first nations isn't it the, yeah the, the uh, gracious. Well, they're not so, our. No, they're, they're it's themselves. not mine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Now, you mentioned uh, o- Oka, the events of Oka, which would that also, would some people refer to that as Kanasatake, or is that a uh, yeah, separate? That, yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, yeah, there were, and Kanasatake, and, um, you know, all of those, uh, there's lots of different um, Haudenosaunee Mohawk nations that are the, basically the same nation, but the territories are. Akwesasne, Ganesataki, Ganawagi, Six Nations, um, Tyndanega, and then there's uh, territories, uh, what is now, you know, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, that, you know, the, that the, the colonizers' border crossed over our territories and separated, but, but didn't uh, separate the Haudenosaunee territory. So um, all, of, all of those nations are the same nation, and we have the same culture, basically the same language, um, but different territories, because we got moved up, and, and we've, we've been displaced, so uh, some people dispersed and um, just, you know, settled elsewhere, mm-hmm. so that's why there's all the different um, Haudenosaunee territories, but we're the same people. 
Now, as a settler, I've heard that the Mohawk women are a particularly uh, strong, fierce collective, and that that is one of the legacies of Oka that, you know, as a young person at that time in my early 20s, but I remember the women on the front lines there. Do you as a Mohawk woman identify with that and do you draw strength from that still, even though you didn't physically go? Yeah. Carmen, I was sitting across from you. So what do you think? (laughs) (laughs) Right. What do you feel? Mm -hmm. You know, um, and uh, I've never been asked to dial down my Mohawk. Yeah. um, Although sometimes I feel to do that on my own accord. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to be respectful of space and circumstance. Um, but when I came here, I realized that I vibrate like a Mohawk person <laughs> and I operate like a Mohawk person. And that's just in, in me. And, um, and, I, and I understand that the Salish people, they get the same things done that we get done, but in their way, in their mm-hmm. Salish way, which is not a Mohawk way. Right. And I'll give you an example. <laughs> A recent example, because I still need reminding of this sometimes, and that is um, we all know that uh, there's the Red Warrior Camp at Standing Rock right now, which is very active, very active, and we're in the middle of it. It's very exciting, but very, very scary times. And uh, so I heard, you know, I'm I'm careful (coughs) to follow the lead of the Salish people on these territories. And so when I heard that the Salish people were hosting a, uh, uh, an event down at the Parliament. This was a couple of months ago, I suppose, and um, the weather was still good, you know, warm. And, uh, and I went and I, and I got very excited. I had just done my radio show that afternoon, and Native Waves Radio, and, and I thought, oh, this is good because I've been waiting. I've been waiting to get involved in some action. And uh, so they said they were gonna be at the Parliament, the uh, legislature. And, uh, you know, come on down. There was a call for people to come down. So I got my warrior flag out and I got my darkest sunglasses out and I went down there and I was like, attitude. <laughs> and I went and I stood with, this, with the crowd that was there. And the Salish people were offering traditional songs and dances from their culture. And it almost looked like dinner theater. And I mean, that's no slight to the culture itself, but the way that it was being presented looked like a tourist event. And I just thought, oh yeah, that's right. That's how they do this. Mm-hmm. And I stood out like a sore thumb. And, it, and because I was, I had, you know, I, had, I wore my attitude, there was some tourist people that were coming up to me and asking, can you tell us what's going on? And I would say, get the hell away from me. And I was telling them to get away from me. And I said, I, I don't know you anything. I don't, you know, but, you, but you're here and you have to help us understand. I said, I don't know you any education whatsoever. And they would go, yes, you do. And oh. I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> right, okay. So um, that was a good reminder. Uh, of if that's how they choose, if that's what the Salish people are, how they're choosing to uh, educate and resist and respond, then, you know, I have to, <laughs> I, right. I can't be bringing all that over there <laughs> at any given time, you know, but I, and, and maybe it's a generational thing as well, because like, you know, at 50, I'm going to be 54 pretty soon. Like, you know, when we resisted, when we had rallies and we had, uh, did action events, 
the chance of getting arrested was very good, you know, but it, that's not how it's done here, mm. necessarily. Right. That, you know, through the Salish people. So um, I have to just remember that. <laughs> now, I would imagine it's pretty, not just offensive, but um, hurtful when those of us in settler culture say, like I said earlier, our First Nations, but even First Nations, there's a kind of erasure that happens because you're talking, you know, these are different nations. So Mohawk culture is different from Coast Salish oh, culture. Yeah. And so when we say First Nations, we're, 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 it's another kind of erasing and amalgamation. Yeah. What do you, what can, uh, this is like kind of diverging. Of course, I want to also ask you about your art, but I'm oh, very yeah. curious in terms of reconciliation in our country, how do we how, how do we dismantle even that? Yeah, yeah. Um, there's. I think it, it's. It, and you're right. There is originality to it. There has to be um, an understanding of the place where where you're standing right now, right this minute. Um, I can't, I don't want to. You know, I don't want to say a lot about um, reconciliation because it sounds like instruction, and I'm not mm. certainly going to take that on. Mm. Um, I'm busy doing my own thing, you know what I mean? And uh, But if, you know, in terms of um, uh, response, uh, I, th I think the, the best thing you can do, and, that, and the best thing that I could do as, as a visitor and a guest, even though I'm an Indigenous person from elsewhere, is to um, always do your best to educate yourself and uh, about the region where you are mm. and the territories where you are. So if that means Google, that's fine. Mm. But if that means you're, you're able to um, respectfully approach the people of the territory, forge a meaningful, genuine relationship with them, then you're going to be all the better for it. Um, just, just knowing, being more um, understanding of the territory where you are in all, on all levels, in all facets of that whether it be spiritual practice, whether it be um, the history of the place where you are. What is the trauma on that land? All mm. the land has trauma, and what is it? Um, so I have, I have done that over my many years of being here, 22 years of being here, and have been invited into places which I've been greatly honored, like into the big house mm. ceremony, which is hugely not public. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so that was, you know, that's a great honor. And... Um, uh, so I would, I would just, if, if there's any, you know, advice, I'm going to use that mm -hmm. word uh, that I could offer at all about what you're asking, then that's it. Mm -hmm. You know, do your own thing. Um, talk to the people whose territory this is. Mm -hmm. And and maybe you don't know whose territory this is, and maybe you, that's where you start, mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. learning a little bit about that. Now, you're quite knowledgeable about um, some of our local history in Victoria in the arts scene. And I was fascinated to hear you talk about uh, an icon that I know a little bit about, Emily Carr. But you also, in a speech I saw, you introduce E. Pauline Johnson. And I wonder if you can just tell me and our listeners a bit about how you became fascinated with those two artists and a little bit about their history. Oh, yeah. Carmen, are you, do you consider yourself an artist? <laughs> 
No. No. <laughs> there is um, the reason why I was interested to know about these two women in particular um, is because I'm an artist. But but I think that even just as a woman who is aware in this territory, there's bits of Emily's history, Emily Carr's history, that will just attach itself to you, whether you know it or not, <laughs> um, because she she was like she was so embraced around here um uh she, yeah there's a lot that she carries in terms of uh representing this region and uh a lot of people have different opinions about her so you know she made a mark clearly mm -hmm. and so that's why i was interested to kind of know more about her but also because she was a sister to the indigenous people in, the, in these regions and all and up and down the coast of these regions. And, and she was a sister to my girl, who I call E. Pauline Johnson. So I say my girl um, in terms of um, I'm a Mohawk poet from Six Nations who broke so much ground for other poets and other native poets and other native female poets who came after her. So I, and so I wrote a play. Um, in 2000, uh, called uh, Pauline and Emily, Two Women. Mm. That was it. And I and I and I don't know. There's there's nothing on record that I have found to date that speaks about you know these women actually ever having met. But in this play, I put them in that scenario where they find each other, and they go on. They kind of have this um, Thelma and Louise adventure together. Although it's not like really quite like that. But mm -hmm. um, so I think of these two women as back when they existed and when they were somewhat celebrated. And when was that? And we're talking about late 1800s, early 1900s, and maybe in a bit later for Emily Carr. Um, they held space. They held really important space that I don't think anyone else could have done uh, but them. And so they held a space as women artists, but as also women who remained single throughout their lives. Mm -hmm who um, forged their own path, and who, who identified and maintained their own purpose on their own terms. And this was huge for any woman back then to do that, you know? So I recognized the bravery and the strength and conviction and um, the beauty of their lives. And so that's why I wanted to I stay focused with them. And I've done extensive research with Pauline. Mm. Um, over the years, and I found handwritten letters by her and um, uh, other wonderful things, uh, family objects mm. in museums and things like that. But uh, and I've read, of course, her work, and I, and I've realized that I, although I don't believe that I am her incarnate, um, that I, in a lot of ways, that I'm continuing the work that she started as a as a Mohawk poet. So I take great responsibility with that. What are what what are some of the things that Pauline cared about? What did she talk about in her work? She talked about land. Mm -hmm. She talked about injustice. She talked about and and yet she was very romantic about both of those things. Uh, so she and it was almost like she was writing about those things uh, as a very separate entity um, of the land. And you know, I don't, she traveled nineteen times across the, this nation. Eh? Oh, yeah at a time when it wasn't easy to do that. Mm -hmm. So she always had pen ready 
uh, to talk about the prairies, for example, uh, the mountains. And she comes from Six Nations, but she ended up in, in Vancouver just mm. before she passed. She had breast cancer. She died of breast cancer. Wow. So, um, and she made friends with Salish people. So this is why I'm going, okay, there's a lot of freaky-deaky parallels <laughs> between her, herself and myself. But again, I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not claiming um, to be who she was. But, um, it, you know, uh, there's lots, lots of parallels that, that make me go, hmm. Mm-hmm. Why do you think she was traveling so much? Was it just wanderlust? Was she spreading a message? What, what was it that you think kept her moving? She, this was her job, but this was also her passion. So she was in a very fortunate position because she had she was engaged at one point to a banker in Winnipeg, and that when the family discouraged the marriage because she was half native and because she was this stage person, mm-hmm. they they the family kind of put a halt to that. So now what is she going to do? Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the fact that she did love to be on the stage so much, she had that personality, and the fact that she loved to write so much, she, she realized, I believe, t- that she could make a living doing this, but it, would, it, was, mm. it was a lot of work. And mm. so tra- traveling or touring was part of the way that she made her money. And um, she then, she, because she couldn't find a, uh, find a publisher in Canada, she went twice to England where she got both of her books published. Okay. So she, so she was kind of celebrated. She had a fan base mm. in England. And, uh, you know, being the exotic native, they right. kind of like, ooh. They, yeah. You know? um, whereas in Canada, I'm not sure if they knew what to make of her because she was this biracial person mm-hmm. um, who was doing what we would call spoken word today like she was doing theatrical recitation of her work so it and you know talking about land and and, and talking about the savage native mm-hmm. you know in romantic terms and things like that so she played into but it was to her benefit that mm-hmm. she helped uh, to shape her own identity through that mm-hmm. through those stereotypes and what do you imagine that she and Emily would mm. do and talk about right. <laughs> when they have Well, the, in the play, I write about um, them having to combat uh, rumor and gossip oh. and uh, because they were single women. And so I, in the play, I have them, there, there was unspoken suspicion of them being gay ladies, right? Mm. Um, uh, but there, they weren't. And, but who knows? But who knows? Yeah. <laughs> and um, so that's one of the things that they kind of uh, buddy up about mm. is that, it, you know, in, the, in their societies, in the circles, where the circles that they're keeping, this is a rumor. And so they're trying to combat this rumor. And then um, they kind of go on this canoe. They're, they have a love of canoes, both of them. Huh? So I put them in the water. I put them in English Bay in this play. And then uh, there's a park ranger who kind of, you know, he's just a, a bastard. And so um, then they start to, so they challenge this park ranger um, in Stanley Park to this canoe um, challenge, a paddling challenge. And um, so anyway, so they go on this adventure and things happen. People fall in the big drink, you know, and, uh, and so on and so forth. And then, and then we do see how... Uh, Pauline dies at the end of the of the play because of All her right. breast cancer, and how they've how they've just forged this friendship. I mean, if any two women could have been a support 
for each other, it would have been those two mm. at that time here in, in British Columbia. Oh, wow. That, yeah. it, I, I get the Thelma and Louise yeah, yeah. <laughs> reference yeah. there. It's just, it sounds yeah, like Rowdy's Pirate also yeah. very sen- like, um, sensitive. You know, like it's, it, it has a lot of heart and yeah. there's some great depth and I can see how this would be, these would be timeless struggles for women. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and I mean, and that that still exists today. Mm-hmm. You know, we're in a, we're in the best place we could possibly be today. I always say that today is the very best day to be a woman. Mm-hmm. Better than yesterday, better than last week, better than last month, last year, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, even though our struggle, we have to stay vigilant with um, with our uh, promoting our rights and promoting equality and 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 things like that. Now, this is getting back to your question about. Um, Haudenosaunee women and the you know the, the place that we have in our traditional societies is like you know this word feminist we never had a word for feminist um, in our language and so which is a very interesting point to begin with but maybe I mean that's a very new word anyway and nobody had a word for feminist <laughs> you know what I mean um, so we that's how we operate that, that's just how we operate and um, uh, I'm not sure, like I, I, I did identify with that word at one time in my life and that was like really early on uh, when, when feminist was a different thing than it is today. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mother was part of the woman's movement, right? right? When it was used to be called the woman's movement. Right. And uh, she brought me to different rallies and women's centers and um, things like this. She was healing herself from her own... Um, uh, trauma, personal trauma, and uh, and so it, that was part of my upbringing. And the way I see uh, the word being used and tried on by different people today, it's not the same. And I'm not saying it's worse. I'm just saying it's not the same. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was a identified with that word, the feminist word, it felt a lot more grassroots than it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, it just felt like. It was uh, it was supporting the individual's healing journey, whereas today it seems like that word looks at the whole and does its very best. It's almost like scrambling to identify the whole picture, mm-hmm. whereas I don't know if we can do that for e- <laughs> for everybody. And um, and I find that there's a lot of criticism within the feminist movement these days too. So mm-hmm. I don't have much use for it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's been very interesting as a white woman um, to self-educate and try to bring along other white women about intersectionality mm-hmm. and like who are we speaking for when we say woman <laughs> and learning that the suffragists were like racist as hell right, right, <laughs> just, right. it's like oh right yeah. so that kind of um, sense of needing to develop a more nuanced language and a more nuanced relationship to to like when we're talking about healing of yeah. ourself and others and how the personal is political boy is there a lot to learn yeah. when you're insulated in various levels of privilege right. even if it's not race even it's like I've been noticing how I've been trying not to use ableist language mm-hmm. and so trying to get rid of the word crazy or that sort of thing from my language or lame and trying to go that's ridiculous right. and name it for what it is or that's right. preposterous it's like you know they're just 
things that I was invisible to for a long time. Right. right. So, but you know what? That has to, again, I'm going to like, you know, talk about language again because um, it's, and, and because we're, the more we're becoming aware, the, 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 the more expansive our language becomes. And there's always going to be new language to help define the awarenesses that we're experiencing. And, and that's just a necessity. Um, so anyways, I, I just think that it's, uh, it's fair to talk about that word. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I would say call it that word. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, and then to, uh, you know, it's, it's like that word reconciliation. Uh -huh. Oh my goodness. What a troublesome word. Mm. It's troublesome because I think there's a lot of expectation tied with that word. Um, I think that I'm not sure what the, what everyone's goals are with mm -hmm. that word. Um, and I'm just looking forward to a time when maybe we can start using the term post reconciliation. <laughs> then, then we would know that we've, you know, done something or um, are in a different phase. And so I'm kind of looking forward to that. I don't. I'm not. Um, uh, I don't. I don't. I'm not. Uh, I don't use that word reconciliation. Mm. It's a funny word mm -hmm. for me. I can appreciate that, yeah. and and I. I agree that one thing I've noticed as I talk about reconciliation is that people wanting to hasten to forgiveness as right. though they're equivalent. That's right. And, and you said something that reminded me of the word more like repair. Mm. But you know what comes with repair? Reparations. There you go. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> right. Hello, land. Now yeah. we're back to land. Yeah. You know? Yeah. All roads lead back to the land. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, Arthur Manuel, I don't know if you're familiar with that yeah. author, but he's brilliant. And, uh, you know, he says, there could be no equality whatsoever if we uh, indigenous people in this country, in this corporation of Canada, only can claim 0.2% of the land, mm -hmm. of the entire land of this nation. Mm -hmm. There's no way we can find equality amongst mm -hmm. the rest of the nation mm -hmm. if that's the case. Numbers don't lie. 0.2%, mm -hmm. what can you do with that? Mm -hmm. you, can't, you can't even buy you a ticket on the ride, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So There's a great chapter, sorry to interrupt, yeah. in um, uh, Thomas King's book, An Inconvenient Indian. And the whole chapter, I mean, and as you know, his narrative voice is pretty easygoing. Sure. So it really ought to be required reading before we have any conversations yeah, about reconciliation. Right. Oh, warfare. I love Thomas King. Yeah. 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 And what's great about that book is it straddles both Canada and the U.S. So we can sort of understand yeah. the, the imaginary border, the medicine line there. And, yeah. and just it's we've been... It's yeah. The, it's one. It's the same land base. Mm -hmm. So whatever is happening south of us mm -hmm. is affecting us as well, mm -hmm. and vice versa. Mm -hmm. um, the same with whatever is affecting indigenous people is affecting non-indigenous people. Mm -hmm. Same difference, man, mm -hmm. and vice versa. Mm -hmm. um, so we're t you know if you're thinking of uh, land as body, which I always do, mm. then that's that's what it is. Like there's like, what is this line? What is this line? <laughs> what is that? You know. Um, uh, I want you know. I think of the crazy election that we're all kind of hoping to heal from, from soon. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, that will. That I mean. I guess the 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 border will separate us on some level in terms of those shenanigans. But but maybe not. You know, we're gonna feel it. I mean, you know, this pipeline business is 
we're definitely implicated with that, and so we it's important to keep an eye on those things. Mm -hmm. We can't be separate. We mm -hmm. have to stay aware. And you mentioned Standing Rock, and of course, so our... Um, I keep saying our because I guess I I feel this uh, conditioning towards possessiveness. So right. I apologize for that. Uh, the coast protectors right. standing in solidarity with the water protectors right. makes so much sense Absolutely. and is providing a really good yeah. model, yeah. I think, for cooperation and um, solidarity. Yeah, there's... Um, okay, so speaking of writers, Eden Robinson, I don't know if you're familiar... Anyways, a wonderful celebrated... Um, uh, writer from uh, the coast area. I'm, I can't remember the name of her territory, sorry to say, but uh, she um, lives in her home territory on the coast of British Columbia and up up north. And her little village are, are so dependent on their uh, the water for their food sources and their livelihood. And there's the big oil industry wanting to send tankers down mm -hmm. their, their coast. And they're just a little village. They don't have a lot of people. They don't have a lot of resources. How can they combat the big oil companies, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm fearful for that. Um, and But these are the realities. And I'm really hoping that uh, people are going to understand that this is, you know, the... the the land and the water are our own bodies. Like mm -hmm. we have to treat them like living human beings, like we are, mm -hmm. and uh, find um, that in that way. I'm hoping that the larger population of people will uh, be able to relate. And when you can relate, then of course there's compassion. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's my greatest hope. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love what you said about land as body. Now. You are a visual artist, a spoken word artist, a, a writer, a playwright, a poet, and I'm curious about your creative process. So do you have the same sort of muse for each of those? Does land show up in one area in particular more so than another? Can you talk a bit about that? Um, yeah, there was a, so when I came here in 94, I had a little budding career as a visual artist from Toronto. And to be honest, I thought that was going to be the trajectory of my career and as a visual artist, painter, photographer, what have you. And it was two years after I had moved here in 96 when I started writing and writing kind of seriously. And it was soon after that when I, when I realized, you know what, I can't do both and do both well. Mm -hmm. And it was the writing that kind of grabbed me and, and made me focus on it more. So I was happy to drop one. But what has happened is I've come kind of full circle back to visual work in terms of uh, being a media artist. Mm. So creating video and um, video poetry and things like this, working in film. And uh, I would say that if there's if you find a thread of message in my work, then I would say it's the same thread of message that comes from the same source. And uh, all of it... Um, I don't even know if I want to define what <laughs> what it is, um, but it's it comes from a very very honest place, um, one that you know a place of uh, of exploration as well, because uh, I certainly don't uh, want to uh, I want to make it clear that uh, I'm I'm exploring just as much as you are, mm. I'm on a journey just as much as anybody else is, and if I have answers, hooray. Uh, um, 
but um, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I mean, they, they, and they might be there in the work, and if you find them, I'm glad, but I, you know, I'm certainly not, I don't set out to, to offer that, to offer that up. Mm -hmm. um, but they do, I am very inspired by travel, I'm very inspired by uh, territory, and and I do I let the I let the land speak to me and that's gonna sound kind of as flaky as anything else but um, not in this show there's, okay <laughs> okay <laughs> then you know I, I I listen I listen to what what's there and uh, and experience as well so and that and when I speak about the inspiration I I think of, I want to touch my gut because mm -hmm. that's where it kind of bubbles up from mm -hmm. and so when I feel that then I know it's it's the goods, mm -hmm. those are the goodies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so do you feel then that your work plays a role in activism in our country? If the land is speaking to you, does it inevitably lead you to a political place? Yeah. Short answer, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's some pieces when, again, like it, it comes from uh, who I am. The, who I am as a poet and who I am as a person and who I am as an indigenous person are all the same thing and so those messages are built in and uh, they're built in because that is my lifelong commitment that is my lifelong responsibility and um, there was a piece I had read at the uh, launch at Emily Carr's house yesterday that I didn't realize when I had written it last winter that it applies so much to today mm. and it was a it's a piece called make sound and it just speaks to being a, a warrior being a land protector and i had no idea that it would be so so poignant now right right now so i read it and i dedicated it to the the land and the water protectors can instead. we hear it let's let's hear it Yay. yeah it's a shorter piece so I'm glad because <laughs> some of them have gone like they I really just uh, went crazy with the long poems this time um, so this one is called make sound make sound imprint this on the memory of the enemy choose words carefully never forget the dreams and abstract images and messages in sound look them in the eye let them see courage and conviction look them in the eye See uncertainty rooted just behind their hard stare. Get close. Close enough to sense injustice. Feel what it feels like so we know what it feels like when we feel it again. Let them arrest us so the visual of our beautiful bound together impacts memory, touches them in the subconscious. Help them with soul memory. When we walk Earth's surface beside each other, we live this dignity, awakened again, large as mountain beings, connected to stars, recalling our songs, our sounds. Whew. That's for the, all of our people out there on the front lines. Can, can you read the last couple of lines again? Sure. <laughs> I, that really caught me in the oh. throat about stars. Yeah. And, we are connected to the stars. We, when we walk Earth's surface beside each other, we live this dignity, awakened again, large as mountain beings, connected to stars, recalling our songs, our sounds. And this is for Standing Rock. They say there was a beautiful song that was created for the, um, 
for the efforts. And that was, and then one of the lines is, uh, if you are a rock, stand as a mountain. If mm. you are a rock, stand as a mountain. Mm. You know, mm. and we can only uh, we can only make attempts to do that. Beautiful. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Thank you. Pleasure. So the last question on the Numinous podcast in, the, in our first season was from the Proust questionnaire, and it was, uh, what do you consider perfect happiness? But for the past 18 months or so, and I had quite a large hiatus uh, from the podcast because I was really grappling much more with grief and rage oh. than happiness. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's prepared me well for 2016, oh, I would good. say. Okay. <laughs> but as you look around at the world... How do you personally cope with grief or rage? Poetry. Mm. Um, I know that I have a, a means to express myself. This is a gift and a purpose and a blessing. And um, when it's too much, I, I, I express. Now, I think of, um, I want to uh, almost use the word transmit um, being a radio person, and I love doing radio, so I love that you're doing a podcast and you know you have people that listen and receive because that's what um, it's all about. It's about transmitting and receiving, and we are both things at all times. So when when it's when it's too much, when I when when the energies are too much, and uh, I'm full, I'm full of energy, whether it's anger or frustration or just exasperation I have a means to transmit that and um, through words through sound through sharing messages over the airwaves um, so at least I have a place where where that can go mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. beautiful well thank you so much Pleasure. for transmitting and sharing yeah. <laughs> I really appreciate you being on the show thank you very much Carmen you are a rock, stand as a mountain. Hmm. It's just a perfect line to describe Janet Rogers and her way of being in the world. Whew, we sure covered a lot of territory in that conversation, hey? Um, and I don't know, did you catch it? Did you, did you hear my shame in there? It, it's the part where, where the parts where I can't stop referring to everyone and everything as our, as in the colonial our. It, it's, it's hard for me to hear myself, which is one of the reasons why it took me a long time. This, this episode was sort of in the can for a while. I just didn't want to hear myself doing that. But I share that observation with you because I think it's important for us as settlers and white people to notice our own white supremacy in action and and make continued efforts to correct it and obviously i have a ways to go so if you are a white person who sometimes feels like a jerk for inadvertently perpetuating the very things you seek to dismantle you are not alone links to learn more about janet and uh find her books are on my website in the show notes carmenspaniola.com and just before I wrap up, I want to give a shout out to my listeners in Germany. Germany, thank you. I, I really appreciate you spending time with me. As I mentioned at the top of the show, this podcast is a compliment to the Numinous School, my online intuition development course. And if you'd like to be notified when registration reopens in June of 2017, hop onto my website and sign up for my newsletter. 
While you're there, you might be interested to know that I've posted the dates for my 2017 wilderness quests. Get all the details at carmenspaniola.com. C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A. Until next time, take care.